Have you noticed that politicians struggle to enact the things they run on? That regardless of who wins elections, they find they cannot pass whatever legislation they like. They find themselves bound by what is popular or at least their sense of it. They can only enact things within a narrow set of ideas, and that range is called the Overton Window. And on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and talk to the people who change what is politically possible. Now, New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham is trying to force auto dealers to stop selling gasoline-powered vehicles. And she's doing this not by passing legislation, um, uh, but Paul Guessing is rallying the opposition. Uh, Paul is the president of the Rio Grande Foundation, a free market think tank in New Mexico. Paul, welcome. Thanks for having me, James. Good to see you. Uh, uh, What is the governor trying to do? Well, she mostly has in the sense that this unelected board in New Mexico, we call it the Environmental Improvement Board, recently adopted a a clean car mandate, if you want. I use that clean car mandate in air quotes because uh, what is clean uh, from the tailpipe isn't always clean in toto. But uh, ultimately, New Mexico is following California's lead by dramatically increasing the number of electric vehicles that need to be sold here in the state of New Mexico over the next few years. And by extension, that reduces alternative vehicle sales in the form of gas-powered vehicles that most of us grew up with and are familiar with and probably still drive based on the latest statistics. Uh, How did this unelected board get the power to determine this? Well, I... I, uh, always talked uh, to folks about my childhood when I was uh, watching game shows. Of course, those game shows come from Southern California. You look like you might be of a similar age. So take one, The Price is Right. And uh, you would have the host, uh, Bob Barker at the time, uh, giving away a new vehicle. And he'd always throw in California missions. And I always wondered, what the heck are California missions? And why is California so special? Well, to make a long story short, uh, folks probably of a certain age remember Southern California's uh, serious smog problems. They had a real air quality issue in the state of California in the 60s, 70s, and I think really into the late 80s. It's improved dramatically. And to be fair, an unelected board in the state of California called the California Air Resources Board did enact some of the policies that helped make that possible. Certainly, vehicle technology has also improved. They become more efficient. Nobody wants smog in the atmosphere. Nobody wants that pollution. So a combination of market forces and government mandates led to this environmental improvement. Well, uh, several years ago, uh, it was determined at the federal government that the waiver given to California for this Uh, policy was also available to other states. Uh, And of course, over time, we also encounter this law of diminishing returns where uh, something that may have been a real problem in California isn't such a problem in a state like New Mexico. Two million people, vast, wide open spaces. We don't have anything close to a major city like Los Angeles with the pollution problems they have. But now we're talking climate change. And the die has been cast that other states, including New Mexico, are using this tool from California, an unelected board, uh, 
to adopt policies that will theoretically uh, reduce CO2 emissions in our state through the tailpipe of gas-powered vehicles. Instead, it'll be electric vehicles and so-called zero-emission vehicles. Of course, the tailpipe or the vehicle-level emissions are not the end of the story, but that's, that's a separate issue that needs to be addressed. Right, so that's kind of a strange position because you have a board, I guess, that's in, um, given to the state through a request from the federal government for a waiver that allows them to set emissions policy, or how does that work? Yeah, basically, um, I'm not sure if any states have allowed for elected boards. I know in California, it's not elected, and I know in New Mexico, it's not elected. Now, that doesn't mean that I think the legislature should ultimately be responsible for making these policies. Just just before Cali- because California does something doesn't mean <laughs> you should do something. I know I sound like our moms when we were doing something with our friends that wasn't so such a smart idea. Well, uh, just because California has done something doesn't mean New Mexico should be doing this. And I very much feel that uh, New Mexico and even California should do these policies if they are to be done through the legislative process, because uh, once you get to unelected boards, you lose out on small d democracy, you lose out on uh, the ability and the right of people to petition and uh, engage with policymakers. You come up with these nameless, faceless boards that are not bound by any political repercussions or the Overton window for that matter, at least realistically, because uh, they can embrace pretty radical policies with no repercussions. Yeah, and that's kind of why I wanted to bring up the specifics of how this board operates, because it radically changes the kind of battle that you need to fight in order to uh, to get what you want, which is to uh, let people keep driving and purchasing new gas gasoline powered vehicles. Uh, you know, if it's if it's a matter of legislative opinion, you get you talk to their constituents, you get them animated, you find the right people to, to convince, you find a message that resonates with them, and you hope that popularity wins the day. If it's an unelected board, that's a tougher position. Now, I assume the board is a like gubernatorial appointees, as in the governor decides. And the way that usually works is that the governor appoints people who are going to do what she wants. And if they do something that she doesn't want, she pulls them off the board and replaces them with someone else. So it's, you know, the unelected board is, is just an intermediary between the governor. Um, so is, is that the case? That unfortunately was the case uh, and has been the case. Now, uh, we did embark upon a uh, aggressive campaign called keepyourcarsnm.com. Uh, it basically involved large numbers of signatures from New Mexicans who opposed uh, this policy and delivering them to the board, and including in a paper document format, thousands of signatures. We we also did lit drops in the neighborhoods of some of these unelected members because, you know, everybody knows the legislators. They know them by face, not everybody, but most people who are engaged in Uh, politics, if they have a legislator that lives next to them or in their neighborhood, they're aware of that. And they can, you know, talk to those legislators face to face. Uh, These EIB, Environmental Improvement Board members, don't have any of that 
public profile. And so, uh, quite frankly, we were engaged in a process to try to make sure that their neighbors understood who these people were, are, and what they are trying to do, and to have a little bit of that personal accountability in addition to trying to sway them through media campaign, through uh, signatures uh, and letters to the EIB, that kind of process. So we really pulled out all the stops in this particular campaign. Uh, unfortunately, it proved unsuccessful, at least the board as a three to two vote passed this mandate. Uh, it's a seven member board, so the governor couldn't even get a majority, a, a clear majority of her own board to pass this uh, this provision, this mandate. But uh, I felt very proud of the campaign we ran. And uh, we really, I think, shed some light and some heat on these people. Um, it's just, you know, it is tough. Like you said, when the governor appoints you, you have that loyalty to the governor. And that's one of the reasons this process is so flawed to begin with. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, the battle that you're fighting is really spectacular and you're doing some interesting things to try and, uh, 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 to, try and uh, to get what you want here. And I want to dig in on, on some of that. So again, an unelected board, they get to make their own thing. They're probably not even accountable to anyone. Um, they've got to, they get to make up their own mind on this issue and they're appointed by the governor who wants, who wants this thing. And you got two of them to vote against it. That, that's crazy. How did that happen? Like, what was your theory and what did you do? Yeah, uh, well, you know, the governor, even for her uh, radical kind of, I think she's she is a radical. She's very uh, far to the left politically. Um, she had, you know, a variety of people on this board. First and foremost, any board. I mean, they had four straight days of meetings from basically 8 a.m. till 7 p.m., so it takes a special kind of person just to be willing to do that uh, with minimal to no com compensation. I think they probably paid them what we call per diem in New Mexico, which is basically a, a daily payment. But these aren't people who are uh, paid to do this. So she had some folks who I would call moderates on the board mixed in with the true believers, um, people who are, are involved with environmental organizations, for example, uh, but two of the members, one of them, uh, he drives a hydrogen vehicle. He's uh, kind of a moderate uh, politically, and he voted against it. Uh, I think you know, he probably just didn't see the case for a government mandate on this policy. Uh, you know, him buying a, a hydrogen vehicle, a different technology than what's really become the cause celeb for, uh, for this governor. So definitely somebody who sees himself as an environmentalist. Uh, but in a different context, a different approach. Another person uh, was uh, from the oil and gas processing uh, mining area of New Mexico. The southeastern New Mexico Permian Basin is where our oil and gas comes from. I think she probably just uh, knows that industry well enough and sees the benefits that it has for New Mexico. So I, it's hard for me to speculate. Um, I have interacted with them and we certainly presented this information to them. Unfortunately, people who whose paychecks or livelihoods were tied to the environmental groups, uh, they were unpersuadable. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm pleased that we got 
three to two. I'm pleased that a outright majority of the board did not uh, vote in favor of this. I do think there's going to be some litigation, uh, probably not my organization, but folks like the Car Dealers Association, who are really the, the ones with the most at stake. There are a lot of good avenues for litigation based on conflicts of interest and some of these process-related issues. But uh, this is still very fresh in terms of the vote, and we're, we're going to have those conversations. But uh, uh, this is going to take effect in the summer of 2026. Uh, okay. so, so we're not talking, not talking that far, yeah. Although, well, so, um, and, and I want to get back to, to what you specifically have been doing on, on this to try sure. and gain support for your side. But, uh, but I want to talk about 2026 first, which is um, one of the, like the only recourse that people will have is against the governor because, um, you know, the next, uh, a different governor could make different, could make different appointees to this panel and could, re could re uh, revisit that, that assumption. But when you, defer these things to 2026, you are lessening the ability to hold someone accountable. Like, I'm not even sure if the governor is up for an election to let voters weigh in on their decision uh, on this issue. Yeah, uh, our governor was reelected in uh, 2022 in November, and she is term limited out, uh, basically simultaneously with this regulation actually taking effect. Uh, a governor in New Mexico uh, a new governor will take office on January 1, 2027. So um, this regulation will take effect uh, earlier in the summer. It's based on model year. That's why I say mid-summer of 2026. And I don't have a date for you um, because new cars, if you're familiar with that industry, they start showing up for the, the next model year on dealer lots sometime in the middle of the summer. Uh, and just to be clear, that we currently are about 3% vehicle sales in New Mexico as electric cars. Uh, we're going to be ramping up within less than three years to 43% new vehicle sales in New Mexico being electric. And that'll go up by 2031, summer of 2031 to 82%. So yes, there's Wait, a time is lag. That, is that... Uh, projections with this mandate in mind, or is that just projections on, on normal market adoption? Oh, that's the mandate. That okay. is the mandate. It's the numbers. So that's why the car dealers are in such a difficult position because the mandate is essentially operated through the car dealers. Uh, now they have to somehow sell those vehicles or offload them. There's going to be plenty of government subsidies to do that uh, as well. Uh, the governor's signal that she's going to put some EV-oriented subsidies on the agenda for the upcoming legislative session uh, in January. But uh, people can go to Texas, for example. Uh, Texas is a state that's not going down this path anytime soon. Uh, Arizona as well. They could head over to Arizona and buy the vehicle of their choice. Utah, if they uh, want to drive up there. Colorado, uh, another neighboring state, they seem to be going down this path. So Denver might not be an opportunity for people to buy these uh, the vehicles that they choose, not the governor chooses. But uh, there, there are ways to circumvent this. In fact, Amazon.com, the major uh, website, you know, commerce website, they just announced that they are getting into the car business. So you could probably, I think, uh, 
buy a car through Amazon and get it in New Mexico, again, uh, circumventing this regulation. So there, there are paths around this uh, new plan, if you will, this new mandate, but mm-hmm. uh, it might require people going out of state and it certainly will have a negative impact on the car dealership industry. All right. So this seems like a tough battle. Uh, it's the policies getting decided by an unaccountable board. Uh, the, you can't have uh, a direct ramification to the governor appointed the board, but you still want to have an effect on this thing. And I do think that popularity matters. If these decisions are unpopular, I think lawmakers are going to change them in one uh, way, shape or form. So what are you doing to generate interest in your side? Yeah. uh, Earned media is at the core of what we always do at the Rio Grande Foundation every two weeks. And that's uh, uh, earned media is when the media establishments that we already have come to you to talk to you and to be able to get your message out. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah, that's a little insider baseball. But, uh, uh, you know, the op-ed pages of the newspapers, the uh, talk radio stations, uh, local television stations. All of those were engaged with by uh, Rio Grande Foundation to uh, push kind of the the narrative or push back against the policies being imposed and considered. We set up the website, keepyourcarsinm.com, to give people an avenue to reach out to the uh, Environmental Improvement Board. We showed up at their meetings and testified. We showed up with printed copies of the signatures that folks had done through that website. We got 3,500, which isn't 3,500 individual New Mexicans reached out, which you know, this is a state of 2 million people. It's not a, not a big state like Michigan or some of the Midwestern states. Uh, so 3,500 may seem low, but we did look and cross-reference with the pro side signatures. And we've asked out Wade the pro side. And those environmental groups are much better funded, you know, big organizations. Uh, We also made sure that the people were listed as no New Mexicans, uh, not just coming in from out of state or uh, finding a petition online and they live in New York City or or California. Uh, These were verified New Mexicans uh, doing the lit drops in the areas of town where the people who are on this board actually live and making sure that they know that their neighbors know what they are up to with this board. So those were some of the big things that we focused on in our efforts here. Uh, didn't do any paid media. We, we didn't do any uh, advertising. We were on a tight budget and we wanted to make sure that every dollar mattered. Sending uh, obviously this information to our email list as well. Uh, building that organizational email list is critical and we have a good list of New Mexicans. So 3,500 people is a lot and state policy matters, especially if they're normal people who are engaged in this debate. I mean, I think state, state, if this was a matter of state legislators who made the decision, 3,500 of normal people engaging on this thing, I think is more than enough to to at least get legislators very concerned about uh, ramifications about uh, about banning gasoline, uh, the sales of gasoline powered vehicles. Of course, this is was to an unelected uh, board. They're not required to address complaints. They're not required to um, 
uh, to respond to uh, to the concerns uh, uh, that people that people raise, they can do kind of what they want. So, what is this issue going to be like going forward? You mentioned litigation, but I assume there's got to be a legislative strategy as well. Absolutely. Now, just to preface everything, uh, obviously our governor is a Democrat. Uh, mm-hmm. Our legislature is not just Democrat controlled, but uh, close to supermajority status uh, here in New Mexico. Uh, so the, yes, primary uh, kind of campaign educational effort moving forward is to highlight the ways in which our legislature has allowed and encouraged this kind of behavior to happen uh, here in this state, because ultimately the legislature is the elected body. Now, to be fair, absolutely uh, several, many Democrats in the legislature, I I don't have an exact number, but probably less than 10, but more than five, uh, actually opposed a governor of their own party publicly and expressed concerns about this issue. So, There are at least some Democrats in the legislature who oppose this, but ultimately uh, when the legislature, our legislature is up all 112 members of them in 2024. So they do have to stand for election on this issue in a way that the governor will never have to. uh, Educating the voters on what those legislators said and could or should be doing on this issue is absolutely the path forward because uh, yes, changing the governor is important, uh, but having a legislature that does not empower as a general practice, unelected boards to take their power away from them uh, and do things that they, at least many of their members do not approve of is, is critical uh, restoring that small D democracy. And, You know, you hear rhetoric all the time from Democrat elected politicians about democracy this, democracy that. Well, uh, I'm for counting the votes and for, uh, you know, people accepting defeat if they didn't win as many votes or electoral votes, whatever you want to call it. But uh, when it comes to these unelected boards, that is devastating to democracy as well. And the same is true for bureaucracies in Washington, D.C., as it is for the Environmental Improvement Board in New Mexico, empowering unelected bureaucrats to make decisions that you as a politician are unwilling to stand for and elect, be elected on uh, is entirely inappropriate. And it's harmful to the very fabric of our society, let alone just democracy. Yeah, and I think this is such an, a, an issue where you you should be on the popular side. Because the fundamental policy ramification here is not pro-electric cars. It is, it is banning products from sale in the state. And people aren't buying gas-powered vehicles because they like burning gas. They're buying them because they're the best fit for themselves and their family. So banning a popular or banning the best fit product ought to be just fundamentally unpopular. Um, Absolutely. So, like, how much is that popularity going to matter in the battle going forward? Well, uh, New Mexicans have a frustrating habit, and I think this applies to people across the country, of not engaging uh, in the political process until 
the decision has been made and then the regulation or rule starts to directly affect them. They'll show up at, up at a car dealership in 2027 and say, why does the gas powered vehicle that I want to buy cost so much more? Or why is the supply so limited? That kind of thing. When they really needed to be engaged in these discussions here in 2023. Um, so that that's just unfortunate. So this, this is going to be an ongoing educational process uh, involving the voters and just trying to make sure that when uh, things start to impact their own family and their bottom line, that they know what is what is happening, what the reasons are. Now, unfortunately, you know, 2024 here, the legislature will, you know, this bill, this mandate will not be in effect. But I do think we caused enough attention and made waves enough that there will be uh, you know, political fodder in this next election in 2024. But just you got to keep educating, keep uh, engaging and make sure that you don't totally let the politicians get away with this this power grab or power uh, deferral to an unelected body. Uh, and I'll throw out a brief separate issue only because it directly relates to all this. Uh, our governor enacted through an executive order a very aggressive gun grab during this summer where she essentially nullified the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution and said by herself due to a public health emergency that that uh, people in Bernalillo County, that's here in Albuquerque, could not carry a gun, uh, open carry or concealed carry. We have both laws on the books. <clears throat> and uh, she was ultimately rejected by people in her own party and uh, folks like the Attorney General of New Mexico, who is also a Democrat uh, on that, that issue. And the courts rejected her as well. So we are going to highlight for sure the ongoing power grabs and the requirement, the necessity that other elected officials, when they have concerns, regardless of political party, they need to be active and engaged and speak out. And if they aren't willing to, they support these unconstitutional anti-freedom policies, and they need to have the voters be fully aware of that. I think that's an interesting point, too, because uh, to get back to the Overton window, it sounds like the governor did a lot to try to ignore the popularity of this issue, to try and bend the Overton window through doing this through an administration and then kicking the can down the road for the effectiveness to try to avoid the question of popularity. Um, that, uh, uh, But it also sounds like they're is going to be a reaction to this. You've been stoking the fires that it sounds like it's a message that people want to hear. And, and the message you've got is popular. Otherwise you're not going to get people to sign petitions, submit comments. Um, and it's just a matter of the question of how much is that popularity when they've specifically done things to try to shift the Overton window away or sorry, done things to try to avoid the popularity of this issue. How much is that going to matter? I mean, there's always going to be another big issue in the next election. And in fact, apathy is probably your biggest nemesis or biggest enemy um, on this yeah. issue. So how is this going to play out? 
Yeah, that's a that that's a great question. I I wish I had the answer to that um, because we we never know how it's exactly going to play out. And just to take the Overton window, uh, you know, and use that a little bit. This these unelected bodies clearly warp the Overton window in ways that make it sticky. Uh, so. For example, yeah, as in, just, as in an issue like passing the legislation to do this is going to be tough. Like they didn't yeah. want to go this way. It was going to be tough and people would have to make make tough votes that were unpopular and be held accountable. How do you avoid that? Make an unelected uh, board right. uh, do this. Yeah. So uh, term limits is a great example of something that I see as very popular with the people, but not so much with the elected officials. And that's that's an approach that they have used to keep a lid on that particular small d democratic impulse. Uh, the Environmental Improvement Board is a great example of that. So uh, what needs to happen, and we're going to work very hard to make this happen, is in 2024, uh, we're going to hold legislators in New Mexico accountable for their stances on this issue. Uh, to their credit, unanimously, both the House and uh, Senate Republican caucuses signed letters detailing their opposition and providing public comments in opposition. So that kind of unity among the Republicans is both rare and welcome and provides them the opportunity to campaign because it's not us campaigning. We're educating. They're the ones campaigning and they can use that in a legislative race. Ultimately, it comes down to the next election for governor of New Mexico because that is the uh, person that can then set the motion in process to go about repealing or limiting the harm of this policy directly. Uh, obviously, you need another level of legislative and you know executive unity to reform the entire process, which I would welcome. We're a very long way from that. But at least starting with uh, the reality of the 2026 gubernatorial election and making that an issue. I certainly hope it is by that time, but um, you, you just never know uh, the way these political issues play out. Certainly abortion, to take another issue nationally, remains a huge hot button issue. Uh, in fact, our governor, I believe, ran on <clears throat> very little in the last election to get reelected and uh, made abortion kind of her horse to get into uh, office for a second time. She didn't have many accomplishments. She was horrible lockdown governor during COVID and uh, uh, abortion seems to transcend many of these other policy issues. So that remains right now, I think for a lot of free market organizations who aren't involved in the abortion battle, a real challenge is to make all of these other pocketbook and individual freedom issues as salient as the abortion issue seems to be for a, a lot of voters across the country. And uh, that remains uh, kind of a challenging situation in, in some of these recent elections that we've seen. So uh, yeah, it, it's it's a battle for salience and what do people vote on when they go to the polls? That's the, that's the challenge we all face. Yeah, that is an unfortunate thing that uh, uh, too often voters only get one say every couple of years, and uh, lawmakers can interpret that how they want, especially if they want to do 
uh, or want to pass policies that are fundamentally un unpopular. It's one way that uh, that uh, that unpopular policy can get enacted. But how? So given with all of this, with uh, it sounds like a challenging battle, even if you've got a popular message, even if the message that you've got resonates with people. So given all of this, are you optimistic about your chances of success, of success here? Oh, um, I'm a pretty optimistic person in general, but uh, this is a this is a long road. And I, I tell you what, I will have a much better grasp on what the situation is going to look like in 2026, which is when the real kind of policy uh, angle will come out on this in terms of how much of an issue will this be in the uh, next governor's election in New Mexico. Uh, if the legislature sees some kind of shift uh, due to this and other overreach by the governor, and this becomes a salient factor, uh, top of mind for voters as they vote for legislators in 2024, that's when I'll feel more confident one way or the other. Uh, I've been expecting that New Mexico would swing the pendulum back a little bit from where we've gone, which uh, New Mexico has always been a fairly blue state, especially at the legislative level. Uh, that has been supplemented and augmented by a tilt towards the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, so we're we're waiting to see when that pendulum is going to swing back. And there's so many other factors uh, that, again, people are voting for uh, or against. And right now, it seems like the Democrats have been able to run on Donald Trump is bad and abortion is good or abortion on demand is good. And voters have gone along with that while ignoring uh, at least in the last election, the lockdown of the schools and the damage that did to our children and education outcomes, not to mention small businesses, et cetera. Uh, it's, it's something that we work every single day to educate New Mexicans about, but uh, ultimately in a democracy, uh, it's not the most engaged five or 10% or even 25%. It's the the, the, the swing voters, the, the lowest common denominator, the people who may not have a great deal of information that uh, often lead to success or, or failure politically. And uh, that's why uh, I believe it was uh, Churchill uh, said democracy is the worst possible system except all the other systems and paraphrasing, butchering, et cetera. But hmm. uh, it, it's, it's got its flaws for sure. Uh, but at least on this issue, we would like to see small d democracy rule rather than an unelected board. And that that's the case we're going to make by and large. Paul, good luck in your attempts to shift the Overton window. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll need it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overton Window, a podcast from the Mackinac Center. Please subscribe and rate. For more, check us out at www.mackinaw.org. That's Mackinac with a C, like the island.